Hey everyone, how's it going? So today we have Dan Horcharik on the podcast. Um, Dan's been competing for quite a while. He got into three gun about seven years ago. Uh, then he got sent off to Okinawa and he's only recently been able to make it out to a Mi'kmaq. But at his first Mi'kmaq, he was able to medal twice, both in rifle and pistol. And then in short order, he went to championships and medal twice again. So this is someone new on the scene. Uh, if you're at Mick East next year, that's someone you're going to want to look out for because he's the heat at this point. You know, also, uh, I got to say, you know, it's awesome that he's a chief foreign officer. It sucks that we can't get somebody like him on the team because he's the type of person who, like, came out to the Mick didn't know exactly what, you know, the type of training he was going to get. And, you know, he was kind of like old school mentality at first, like me, you know uh what honestly kind of what can they teach me but as soon as he started like listening to it it's like he just instantly started sucking it in and um he just applied everything and that's a that's the type of individual that you want to have around you not just in your unit but as a friend uh so it's really cool hearing about his experiences and seeing how he was able to you know, go from champion or from the Mick to championships and how he medal in both events. Yeah. So Dan actually went to uh, the USPSA match at Sir Walter gun club with me yesterday. That was the, that was seven May. So he's someone who's taking in a lot of information. He's exposing himself to different disciplines and it's a good, it's a great thing because he started a shooting club within second radio battalion and Really, the shooting team does a lot with the make mix that they uh, put up. They travel all around the world, uh, hit every single meth. But you also need these small unit influences. You need people that are passionate, that are going to put in the extra time and energy, that are going to teach Marines at the small unit level. And that's exactly what Dan is. And I think a lot of that passion, enthusiasm, and the willingness to go the extra step in order to uh, foster those marksmanship fundamentals is something you guys are going to hear in this upcoming podcast. It's really cool because if you asked me four years ago, if I would have ever thought there, there would have been a, uh, uh, a unit sh shooting club or shooting team, I'd been like, yeah, no way. No, there's no way that a unit's going to do that. But like, here we are, you know, you have your own shooting team within your unit and then and now Dan has, you know, a shooting club within his own unit. And it just shows the level of influence that is being brought out there with, you know, we need to improve marksmanship wise. And it's, it's really encouraging to see that kind of stuff happening. Yeah, hopefully in the years to follow, we hear a lot more about individual units starting up their teams. In addition to that, Dan's also into a bunch of other events, an avid outdoorsman. He is signed up for a three-day, 300-mile kayak race in Missouri that's coming up in July. So he's got a lot of other stuff going on, has a lot of ideas on how to incorporate fitness and shooting. So that's a lot of other stuff that we talked about in this episode. Yeah, I, I really don't have anything to add except that kind of shows what kind of mental aptitude and and his strength that he has, like, which is everything that competitive shooting gives you, but then you can apply it into so many other levels and he's kind of applying this and he's already got that mental ability and he's just taking what he has done on his own time and then applying it to his shooting ability. So, you know, it's really cool. Like, um, you know, I guess the best way to describe it is shooting does teach you about who you are, as a person mentally, but he's already, he, he's already got that, you know, he's been a Marine for, 
you know, a number of years, he's uh, he, he's already found his niche in life, which is so, so hard to find people that are kind of like that, even in the Marine Corps, like people just kind of go through the motions and do the status quo thing. And here's a person who's a standout individual that just keeps pushing the envelope. It's really cool. We're excited for you guys to hear this episode. You're looking at the length. It's a long one, but there's a lot of good conversation in there. And let us know what you think. Enjoy. It's like, it's like two hours long, but it's really good. But, yeah, no, we talked about a lot of different topics. He's a passionate guy. And uh, yeah, a lot of good content. So hope you guys enjoy it. All right. Y'all have a good one. Enjoy the episode. Yep. Give me a nod when you're ready. Shooter's ready. Stand by. Hi, everyone. I'm Frank Gao, co-host of 3GIQ Podcast. Our guest today is Dan Horchark. Dan is a Chief Warrant Officer 2 in the Marine Corps, currently stationed with 2nd Radio Battalion Camp Lejeune. He's also an avid outdoorsman, competed in some interesting fitness competitions that we'll get into, and shoots competitively with its primary disciplines being USPSA and multi-gun. Most recently, Dan attended both the Marine Corps Marksmanship Competition East and the Championships. He earned a bronze medal and rifle and a silver and pistol at East. At championships, he came away with bronze pistol, bronze rifle, and a team pistol medal in his first year as a Marine Corps competitor, and by his own admission, is on a war path to become distinguished in both rifle and pistol. Matt, I'll turn it over to you for the first question, but uh, thanks for coming on, Dan. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, absolutely, man. Um, so this was your first year shooting MIG Mix, am I right? Yes, yes. It's my All first right. year yeah, not my first year attempting it. Um, there were many other years that I, I wanted to get into it, but I, I, it's just with work and everything, I couldn't really get away to do it. So what was your experience like going down uh, shooting at Stone Bay? And can you recap the event for us? Yeah. So um, honestly, it was my first time I can remember shooting at Stone Bay to start with. Uh, I was pretty excited that I, you know, after years of trying uh, I, I tried back when I actually worked at Quantico. I was working at OCS and it just, the, the schedule didn't really work out. And then in Okinawa, I wanted to do a couple of times. So then this year um, I'm, I'm with a unit that at the time that Mick was going on, I had the opportunity to, you know, step away from work for a little bit and go out there for those two weeks and do it. <clears throat> and I was extremely excited. Um, it was, so I, I do a lot of local shooting. And that, that draws a very diverse crowd of, you know, different ages and experience levels and everything. And, you know, in my head, I thought like, okay, this is the, the Marine Corps marksmanship competition everyone from the East coast, like everyone's, you know, best shooter is going to be out there. So um, I was honestly nervous. <laughs> it was the first time in a very long time that I've been really nervous to actually get into competing because um, I guess I don't know whether to say fortunately or unfortunately, I haven't been exposed to too much failure as a shooter prior to, and I'll, I'll specify prior to <laughs> what happened this year. Um, 
see, so yeah, going down there, I was extremely nervous. I didn't have any idea what to expect. I had some local people that had watched Mick Mick in the past and they're like, Hey, you know, you're gonna be doing a, a ton of, you know, transition drills. So we're going to work a ton of transition, like dropping the rifle on your sling and picking up a pistol and, and doing that stuff. And then come to find out it is different every year. And, and we didn't really do that stuff at Mick Mick. So, um, realizing that I kind of got my head a little bit. I was like, man, I'll, all the stuff I was doing to sort of train for it. We aren't doing that. I'm going to, I'm going to bomb this and everyone like, this is all, you know, for nothing. I'm going to embarrass myself. And I kind of tend to get my own head with stuff like that. But then we get there and the whole first week is, is training. You get to know the instructors. Um, the, we started off with some of the pistol and I, I, I like to consider myself a, a pretty good pistol shot. And I was honestly worried. I sort of had the mental talk with myself ahead of time. Like, don't be full of yourself, you know, be open to what they have to teach. Cause a lot of it is teaching. And, uh, luckily I was able to keep an open mind. And so, you know, day one, they start talking about like, Hey, we're going to start doing reloads. And I was like, okay, here we go. You're going to teach some super basic stuff about reloads. But then the way they taught it is a way that I hadn't been taught before. You know, like specifically, uh, we're doing reloads and you partner up with someone who's catching your magazine and putting it back in your magazine pouch. So it's like unlimited ammo and you just get so many reps in. And that was the first thing that I picked up on with Mick Mick. I was like, man, this is uh, going into it. They start teaching for the lowest common denominator there and then they start building up. But uh, I immediately had appreciation for the coaching techniques and the drills and their, their teaching. Uh, Sergeant Cardenas was mainly over pistol and he was out there teaching some different drills. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and then going over to rifle, getting into some of that kind of stuff. That's where, like in my head, I was like, cool, I'm going to make Mick to try to do well in pistol. Rifle, if it happens, it happens. But like, I consider myself to be experienced, maybe, uh, maybe above average. But I was like, ah, this isn't like my thing, you know. But honestly, between um, Sergeant... Uh, Ariano and Sergeant Alvarez, the two of them combined teaching. Uh, I, I actually learned like the most significant stuff that I've learned in a very long time in the action rifle and ended up doing pretty well there. I didn't realize how much I didn't know about like action rifle shooting up close. So that was a, that was a really good experience. And then something that I had never been really exposed to before um, <clears throat> Like I was talking to you guys about, I'm not 100% savvy on, on the terminology. I think it's PRS where you're shooting on barricades. Correct. Yeah. So with that, I'm like, okay, this this isn't for me. I, I'm not going to do well at this. Uh, Staff Sergeant Colliard was the main instructor there for us. And I mean, I, I did not do well at first. And because I didn't do well, I didn't really get stressed out about it. It's like, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to punt this stuff, like whatever. And when I did that, it kind of got rid of the stress for me and it allowed me to just focus and have an open mind. And I actually ended up doing pretty well at that. What um, kind of weapon, uh, if you don't mind me cutting in real quick, what yeah. weapon system were you using? We're using a, uh, M27 IAR. We're using a M16 M4. So at Mick Mick, uh, I'm, I'm with second radio battalion. So we don't have the cool IARs and everything. So, um, they you, they were free to, floated barrel just straight <laughs> no. blunt, bare bones m16 m4 
Oh yeah, had the M4 with that rock and RCO up on top. Yep. So went out there shooting that stuff. And I mean, I thought I knew a lot, you know, about just the, the basics of rifle. And I had heard the term barrel flex in the past. I'm like, okay, that's some like, if you really get down into it, yeah, maybe barrel flex existed. And it's that's where I'm calling early on in like the beginning of Micmic blew my mind because they put the culminator on the end, or I'm sorry, the, the culminator on the end and lined it up with the RCO. And I was able to hold a rifle and just rest the weight of the rifle on a barricade. And I saw the reticle shift from barrel flex. So I was always under the impression that you had to like really lean into it and like be cranking down on something for barrel flex to come into play. And like, it was almost a mythical thing. And he showed me that pretty much everything I've ever done, I've been dealing with it. And so I was like, man. So once he put the culminator on there and I was able to like visualize what barrel flex is and, and watch it happen, that was, that was huge for me. I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm like, cool, barrel flex is a thing. <laughs> like knowing what kind of barricade to hold on. And, you know, am I going to rest the mag well? Am I going to rest the barrel? If I rest the barrel, I got to aim different because of barrel flex. And yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't go there expecting to really learn a lot. I, I went there expecting to sort of compete with what I had. And yeah, it absolutely blew my mind working with those guys and, and be able to learn from them. And, and that's kind of what we like, like, you know, some people go in there with these preconceived notions that they're like, Oh, I'm going to be the top of the game or I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. And then, you know, they go out there and they're like, Holy shit. I just learned more information in this one week period than I've <clears throat> ever learned in 15 years in the Marine Corps. And it's like, you should always be trying to learn. Yeah. This oh, is yeah. why we're here. Yeah. Especially with pistol. So it's much well, it's much more affordable to shoot pistol, especially nowadays. Um, there's more local pistol matches that are available. You know, you can go to a, a, an indoor range and do all sorts of stuff with pistol, different yard lines. There's a little bit more restrictions with rifles. So I've, I've gotten more experience with pistol. I've done really well in the pistol range, like, you know, the annual qualification. Um, <clears throat> and really what got me wanting to do the, like the actual Marine Corps competition was really two things. Uh, I shot my first 400, uh, like the perfect score in the pistol range. And just like the recognition that that, that, that game, like, oh my God, you actually shot a perfect score. And I'm like, well, yeah, other people do this, right? And I'm like, not, a, like, I haven't seen someone. And I know I'm not the only one, but I was like, man, I might be like really good in the Marine Corps. And that kind of got me thinking, like, I might actually be onto something here. And then, uh, the thing that really was the trigger and led to the first time that I actually attempted to compete um, before, you know, op tempo stuff kicked in is I was working at OCS and we were doing like platoon photos or whatever with the platoons. And this Marine starts walking across the parade deck, uh, a staff sergeant, I, I believe it was in his alphas. And all I saw from a distance was an alpha, uh, a service alpha uniform with what looked like his personal medals, like his awards on there. And I was like, oh, my God, no, he's not. <laughs> so I go running over there to let him know, like, dude, what are you doing? We're in medals with, with. And then I got closer and I was like, what is that? What are those? He had like three medals. I've never I've only seen to this point shooting badges. It's like, yeah, I mean, these are these are shooting medals. You know, you go compete on the shooting uh, shooting competitions at Mick Mix and stuff like that. And, and you can earn these medals. And I was like, holy crap, I'm in. I'm sold. It's bling. It looks cool. Like, <laughs> 
was yeah. that was that was that Staff Sergeant Germanello? Was that a couple I, years I, ago? Uh, it would have been back in 2017. Oh, okay, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, it was, it was a guy from a different team. Uh, I didn't work with him. I just saw him. I wouldn't know the name if I heard it, but that was like that was like one plus one. You know, like oh, I might have skill plus oh, I can I can win cool looking stuff. Like yeah, let's do this. I didn't know we can. I didn't I didn't know that stuff really existed. I thought it was just the very few people that existed out there in the Marine Corps that you never see would have those. And I saw it. And I was like, man, that's, that's sick. No, good for you. Uh, so, all right, moving on from Mick McEast and now going into championships, what was your experience like there? And what did you think about the different assortment of competitions as a first time participant? So, Going into Mick Mick, I, I don't know. I, I'll admit there, there's times when it comes to shooting uh, pistol that there's a little bit of internal arrogance. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I should go compete. Maybe I can do well. Uh, it blew my mind that I, I actually got a, a medal in pistol and that I got a, a medal in rifle, especially. I did not expect that. And that alone, I was sold. I, w- I was in it, the whole competition arms program competitive shooting. I was like, that's awesome. I just accomplished what I wanted. Then the fact that I got invited to championships, um, that was, that was like extra credit in my head. And I'm, I'm super happy that I looked at it through that lens. Cause if I was like, Oh man, this is championships. This is like the big time stuff. All the best people from all the other competitions get to come here. I would have been a nervous wreck and I, I wouldn't have been focused on the right stuff. Um, yeah, getting up there, uh, I was like, okay, there's going to be really good people here. I don't have any expectations. You know, I'm probably not going to medal here because this is all the, all the good people from across the Marine Corps, and who am I to think that I can outshoot all them? And so I went up there thinking, like, this is just, this just bonus time. You know, if it happens, it happens. Cool. And it was exactly what I expected. Um, I had no idea what to expect with the different firearms and the different courses but it was exactly what I expected as far as the competition and that was the first time since I've actually considered myself a competitive shooter that I've been exposed to that much of that level of proficiency you know you show up to a local match and maybe there's 30 people and those 30 people 10 of them are really trying to go for it you're like cool these 10 guys might be my competition the rest of the guys are just having fun you know uh, but there was a hundred people and all 100 were going for it. And all 100 were very qualified, just as qualified as me. And that was, a uh, that was something, but going into it with the mentality that like, okay, I'm not, I'm not actually going to do well at this. I'm here to have fun and, and learn stuff and see what it's all about. And maybe next year I can train for it. Uh, that mentality definitely helped, but, uh, yeah, going up there, I, I, I did think that it was going to be kind of the similar schedule. Um, you know, you go up and you have training and whatnot for maybe the first few days and then you roll into competition. And I was very pleased to see that there was, there's about one day of training, uh, for the, for the bullseye rifle stuff. And after that, it's like, every time you, you get out of the rack and <laughs> you drive out to the range, it's like, this is a competition day. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, at the Mick level, I, I value that training, like that first week of training is, is critical because I watched some people from day one to the end of the first week where the training was like 
tremendously improve their skill and actually get like competitive results. So training down at the mimic level is paramount, but I was actually, I, I was pretty excited when we got up to Quantico and, and there wasn't a whole bunch of training. It was just, Hey, it's go time. Every time you get up, you're going to go, you know, either succeed or fail. That made it, that made it a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, you know, starting with the precision rifle stuff, precision pistol, and then moving on to multi-gun and uh, what they call their Frankenstein guns. You know, you asked me when I shot a nitmick, it was just a basic M4. And what I own in the civilian world is just, you know, an MMP by Smith & Wesson, which is pretty much a basic M4, you know, and you, you do whatever to it. But then they busted out like an IAR with uh, an EOTech on it, and then an M4 with the RCO on it. And then an M16 with some other optic on it. And that was, uh, I, I did not expect that at all. But honestly, I thought that the championship match was a lot more fun than the Mick match because they just threw a, a, so much different stuff at you. It was almost like, you know, you, you could be good with your own rifle and you could be good, you know, with the rifle that you're issued in the Marine Corps. But when people are like, hey, we're just going to have different rifles with different optics you don't actually get to test fire or see what the holdover is or any of that. It's just, are you, uh, how are you going to do just picking up this rifle with this specific optic? Can you race it? <laughs> that was, that was a fun challenge. You know, I don't have that many rifles and optics, so I can't do that myself. So just throwing random stuff at me, that was, that was a ton of fun. Are you able to pick up any weapon system and be good with any gun? True test to marksmanship. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. It kind of makes you feel badass when, yeah. when it's like, like, okay, I got my, you know, my M4 with my four power RCO on it. Cool. Yeah. I'm good with this. But when someone's like, well, what if you had an EOTech and what if it wasn't M4 and it was, you know, an IAR that had a different barrel and just a different feel to it. And then what if you had the, what's it called? A, a SCO? Mm -hmm. I never even issue one of those, the adjustable like LPVO. Yep. Yep. Never looked through one of those. And that thing was out there on the table and like, yeah, you got to pick it up and just send it. And I was like, man, okay. Like I, I got an LPVO on my rifle and I hope it's the same. And yeah, it's, it's challenging, but it's definitely confidence boosting. Like if you don't, if you don't leave the range that day feeling kind of badass, like you're not, you're not doing it right. You know, you're not, not a real Marine. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying, even if you go out there and, and you just punt it and you suck, the fact that you were able to, you know, pick up a rifle that you've never held before with an optic you never never held before and get some hits. I mean, when you think about just the average American who's like, oh, I've never shot, you know, an AR before. And you give them one, they look at it like it's weird. And then when you're up there, they throw three different types of ARs at you with three different types of optics. And it's just, it's fun. And it's, uh, it's inspiring and confidence boosting at the same time. Yeah, uh, I can testify to that. The multi-gun day, that was a blast. I didn't do great in it. Dan, you did awesome. You came away with another medal. Um, I want to bring something out that you talked about when you're talking about Mick East. So talk about the rifle portion. You said you came in, uh, you weren't expecting the medal. I think you were talking about the practice day where you didn't necessarily do that great, didn't get a whole lot of hits. But then you came up on game day, you said you were a lot more relaxed and they performed a little above what you expected. Um, Coming into, I'm assuming you're going to want to go to Mick Mick next year and going to want another run at Champions, Absolutely. Right? Yes. So 
coming into that mentality, I think it's a little easier to come in as like someone who's unproven as an underdog, right? Like that mentality is easier to sustain, but now you're coming into it and you're the heat, man. Like people know you, people know you meddled and people are going to be watching you and they expect a certain amount of performance from you. So what's the difference in terms of mental preparation that you think you're going to take to that next mic-mic? Uh, I like to think that my mental preparation is recalling previous failures. <laughs> so literally the exact thing that you talked about, I've, I've already made that mistake a few times. Like I mentioned that, you know, I shot a perfect score in the pistol range and I personally didn't know anyone else that shot a perfect score. Well, that's great. And that's exciting until a year passes and you're back on the pistol range, but you're not just back in the pistol range. It's like, all right, I'm back as the guy that has a 400 in the system, you know? And I was like, whatever, I'm a 400 shooter. And this is whatever. And I didn't do well. I dropped like eight points. It was the worst I ever shot. And so I'm like, okay, there's a lesson in here somewhere. Like showing up thinking, all right, well, I'm the man because this is how I did last time. That doesn't carry over at all. So, I mean, when the time comes, I mean, hopefully I get the opportunity to go and compete again. And hopefully I'm, you know, wise enough to recall previous, uh, failures that I had due to the improper mentality. But no, honestly, I think, I think I do best when, um, so Jerry Mitchellick, uh, everyone knows who Jerry Mitchellick is the world world record for freaking everything was shooting. And, uh, I heard him say one time he was given a bit of advice. He was asked like, if you have one, one bit of advice for a new shooter, what would you say? And I've never forgotten this. He said, never place an expectation on a performance. And so me showing up to the pistol range that day, like I'm a 400 shooter, it's going to happen hundred percent. And then I drop a bunch of points, like that ain't good, you know? And then, you know, you show up to day one of Micmic, you know, like, okay, I'm here to prove myself. I'm, I need to do great. You have this expectation, like when the buzzer goes off, I'm going to, um, excellence is going to spew from my body. And then it doesn't, you know, so next year, uh, honestly, I, I feel like, to myself, I've proven myself this year. I was going for a little bit of self, self, uh, self-satisfaction, just seeing how I am as a shooter. <clears throat> so next year, whenever I go out there, what I would like to do is bring more Marines from my unit out there and mentally focus on their success. Uh, I, I know we're going <clears> to <throat> you know, get into the, the shooting club and everything eventually, but one of the things out there is, I mean, I can go out there to a range that has all these competitive base set up with these, the stages of fire that I've set up. And honestly, like I'll go out there and I'll run the stage of fire and I'll do really well at it. Like really well, that's because I don't, I don't care. You know, like I'm going to just show them how to, how they can do it. And then I turn and I try to focus on how are they shooting and, and what pointers can I give them? If all I'm focused on is, my own success and like, Oh, I need to get this many more points in order to, you know, go toward distinguish or something. Then that's my sole focus. And honestly, I'll, I'll probably act like a bit of an asshole out there if I'm just self-centered and focused on myself. So yeah. Um, my mission as soon as, you know, the championship ended is all right, we'll start spreading the word, start building the teams for next year. Um, I had three Marines that were interested this year and I'm however many I can get to come with me next time. Uh, I think my focus will be on their success. And then if I've been doing my training and, you know, if I am a good shooter, then the performance should be there, you know, but uh, if, if I focus on success, it's probably just not going to happen, you know?
Yeah, I think there's a balance in there. So um, I'll talk a little bit about my MCMIC experiences. So my first MCMIC was in 2021, and I came out of that with the gold medal. Um, I felt like uh, I was a lot like you in my first MCMIC. I wasn't really expecting anything, and I was pleasantly surprised. And Matt, you guys ran that MCMIC. Um, that was the first time I met you. Um, but this year, like my all the Marines I brought with the two MIG shooting team, Every single time they're like, Hey, you're going to medal, right? You're going to medal. There's the expectation this time around. Oh yeah. So the way I tweaked my mentality was I wasn't focused on myself. I was focused on like getting all my shooters through like you. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember the way Dodge city was set up, Dan, with the tight headshots. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. My, my shooters were in their feelings afterwards, man. I had to get, <laughs> I had to go straight Braveheart. I was like, look, the stage isn't worth the points. <laughs> Like you have two more stages that you still need to shoot. Do not spiral, stay focused. Um, but I also told him, I'm like, look, I know a lot of you guys are saying like, Hey, you're going to meddle. You're going to meddle. I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on one person. And that was Sam Nelson. Right. Uh, one of my protégés joined the shooting team and I know how much he trains. I know how much ammo and like range time he has. So I was telling myself, if I'm going to do well here, if I'm going to beat Sam, I can't make mistakes. I have to shoot clean. I have to focus on my stage plan. I got to burn it in. Um, but at the same time, I was also coaching uh, Marines through. So same as you last year, I brought five shooters this year. I brought 20. Um, yeah. And knowing, knowing you, Dan, I think you're well up to the task of performing well individually, but also like myself being a bit of a USPSA Sherpa and bringing others to the promised land as well. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were also, you also helped me out at, um, championship, whether you know it or not, just chasing you for the most part. So especially in the USPSA stuff, when we did all the pistol stuff, the, being someone who's pretty confident with pistol, <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm absolutely horrible with names. The, I believe he was a Sergeant. It was just killing it out there. Uh, the whole time. Yes. Uh, yeah. So him everyone's has different variations of his name dually dually something i call him control so, dually yeah i called him in my head i called him cheat code because it was just no matter what he did it, yeah but uh going out there like honestly what really helped me was i mean mostly the fact that my name starts the an h and yours starts with a g so you'd go before me and i get to watch you i was like cool i thought i was gonna do it this way he just did it this way. Um, maybe I should change my plan up. And honestly, it was, I was chasing the two of you because I would go out there and I, I don't know, like maybe I'd run it faster, but I'd pull shots and do whatever and start getting sloppy. And I felt like I ran it faster than you. And I don't know how many times I walked over like, Hey, what would you get on that, on that course? You know, what was your, your hit factor? And it was always higher than mine by at least something. Same thing with uh dually. And uh, I go over to him and I, I asked him what his hit factor was and it was better than me. And I'm not used to, always being outperformed by people. And that's what I really honestly appreciated about the championship was I absolutely was not the best shooter out there. And so like, that is what you need to push yourself to like reach new limits. I was like, all right, well, success for me means of these six stages, one time I'm going to beat Frank and one time I'm going to beat Dooley, you know? <laughs> And uh, I, I think it happened only because Dooley had, I think, one bad stage, which obviously didn't affect his outcome because the man's a legend. But, yeah, just chasing you guys, that 
that helped me out a lot. And honestly, it helped me not focus on how I'm doing like overall, like, Oh man, I had a, I had a miss or I had a no shoot or something. So overall that probably just put me to whatever. I honestly wasn't thinking about, you know, until it was over, I honestly wasn't thinking about my overall standing. My focus was on my squad because I had good shooters like, you know, you and Dooley and there's a bunch of other people as well, but you two were the main ones. I'm like, all right, well, like how close can I get to his score? Like, can I chase this guy? And then just pushing outside my comfort zone. uh, I mean, I was also by doing that competing against everybody else as best as I could. So I think a combination answer to your question is bring more people with me to focus on them and then find one or two people in my squad who are my competition and just focus on them. Like there were what, 230 people at McMick? Yeah, it's 231 maybe. Yeah. So if I'm thinking like, okay, it's, it's me and 231 people, that's, that's daunting, you know? But if I'm like, all right, it's me and these 20 guys, those three up there are my competition. I, I have to try to outshoot them. And just, you know, people say aim small, miss small. It's kind of the same mentality. It's just with who you're trying to compete against. Yeah, man. Um, <clears throat> so we touched upon it a little bit. Um, I'll take a step back. Our squad was stacked at championships. <laughs> so it was me, you, Dolly. We had Nelson. We had Parker. We had Sturman. Like, yeah. yeah. Now I think about it, like, I think that that was one of the pluses is that we had so much, so much competitive firepower in that squad that, yeah, I think a lot of us shot our best stages because of that. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure Sturman, I'm pretty sure Sturman had, you know, laser guided bullets though. So I want to look into that because. No matter what he did, no matter how fast he did, between him and Parker on the uh, – what was it? The, the multi-gun. It was uh, the same day that we packed everything in because of the weather day. It was multi-gun first, I think, in USPSA, where we were on one barricade after another. It was, was gas, <clears throat> gas, gas-powered gun, um, the ga- gas gun series, and then it was yep. USPSA, yeah. Okay, so it was the gas gun then where I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And then Sturman and, and Tomasi go out there and it's just one shot, one hit, and they're just flying through it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like maybe, I, I don't know. I honestly didn't have the mentality that I would be able to keep up with them. Uh, yeah, that was, that was just uncalled for how fast they were. Slow down. You're making the rest of us feel bad. Oh, uh, we did yeah. verify during Parker's interview that Sturman legitimately has ice in his veins. So not surprising there. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> moving on to this next question. So you're the president of second radio battalion shooting club. Uh, what was yep. your initial inspiration for pioneering that club? Um, <clears throat> honestly, I, I love teaching stuff. I've had, you know, throughout my time in the Marine Corps, I've, I've held different instructor billets. So if I know something that other people can benefit from, I love being able to teach stuff. And then I got better. Uh, I was introduced to the whole shooting thing back in 2015 by uh, a buddy of mine that I had met, you know, in the Marine Corps, Brandon Wollen. He's like, Hey, I got a range set up. Uh, you want to come out and do, you know, some three gun stuff. I know and Brandon I Wollen. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. yeah, I know him. Oh, yeah. uh, he's shooting oh, well. down there. Yeah. It's good dude. Yeah. He's living up in Wisconsin now. Yeah. So he planted the seed, threw fertilizer on it, watered it, <laughs> all that stuff. He actually, he's the guy that pushed me to do my first match and he kind of bullied me into it. And, um, it's cause I, you know, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not ready to compete yet. And I forget how he did it, but I know that somehow he pressured me into going with him and I'd make up excuses and he'd just shoot them down. And I think that's what people need. 
And that got me to my first, uh, it was three gun nation was my first match. And I was like kind of in the upper half of the bottom 50%. And I was like, man, I'm not very good at this, you know, but I kept working on it. And, um, <clears throat> as I started to get better, you know, working with him out of his range, uh, focusing on, on small things, there's just a lot of stuff that, uh, that he taught me and then challenges that we come up with ourselves. And those turn into lessons that you want to teach other people. So, you know, your first match, my first match, I was out there with it, my AR with the EOTech. And the first stage was from this moving platform with targets out at 400. I was like, well, I got the wrong gun for this <laughs> and uh, didn't do well at all. But I didn't focus on, on that. He, you know, it sounds weird, but like in a kind way, he just talked shit to me the whole time. Uh, no matter how I did, he's like, yeah, I also saw that you locked your shotgun bolt to the rear. You ran it dry. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, okay, yeah, you're right. I was like, all right, this next stage, my goal is don't run my shotgun dry. Don't hit bolt lock. And I would do it. And I'd even bet I'm like, Who, if I do it, I'm going to buy you Taco Bell on the way back. And I bought him Taco Bell on the way back. Just little things, right? So those lessons I learned, <clears throat> all the little things that shave fractions of seconds or full seconds off your time. And just, you start finding more efficient ways to do things when you got a buddy to shoot with and, <clears throat> you know, you can sort of compare notes in that way. And uh, so I, I really wanted to pass that along. And then, so that's like, that's one part of it. And then you have, you know, every unit has its motorcycle club. And most of my time in the Marine Corps, I, I haven't had a motorcycle. I do now, but it's like, man, these guys get, they really just, get off work and go ride their motorcycles. Like, that's so, that's so lame. You know, like we're going to stay here and do work and they just get off to go do their stuff. And then uh, I got orders out to Okinawa after I realized that I was at least half decent with shooting and there is no shooting out there. There's no competitive anything. And you don't realize how much you really enjoy doing something until it's taken away from you. And I'm like, man, I've, I'm realizing how much I'm taking for granted like how many weekends I don't go shooting and how many times I don't make the trip to the range. I would give anything to be able to just go to a range and just plink rounds and run around and do stuff. And I can't do it. And then I started thinking, all right, well, what if I combine all these? <clears throat> I think that I've, I've got some kind of skill and I'm pretty sure I know how to teach people. I've learned a bunch of small things from competitions and from friends about how to, you know, shave off a little bit of time and how to build efficiencies and there's this motorcycle club where that's their hobby. That's their, their thing they do on the side is they like to ride motorcycles and they get time to do it. And I was like, what if I just blended all that together uh, and just kind of had the same concept? Like once a month we get to, you know, get off work and go out to the range and shoot our personal weapons and learn that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that was pretty much the motivation is those, those different factors uh, crossing paths with, <laughs> I don't want to say boredom in Okinawa because I was slammed out there, but lack of other hobbies and plenty of time to think. I was like, man, I really want to shoot. I really want to teach. And there's other ways that people can like get off work to go do things. So all of them come together. And I was like, I'm going to create a shooting club. And I even think I started typing it up while I was out there. And as soon as I got to uh, radio battalion, I realized, you know, compared to artillery out in Okinawa, uh, radio battalion had a slower operational tempo than where I just come from. And I was like, Oh my God, now 
I've got the time to do it. I'm not as slammed. I can ration my time out a little bit and maybe get this thing going. And so that was really what, what sort of clicked in my head for me to type the whole thing up and do all the paperwork and finally get it approved. So I, I do have a quick question for you. Uh, yeah. You mentioned going out shooting Three Gun Nation with Brendan <clears throat> Wallen. Uh, did you happen to go out there and compete at Tar Heel Three Gun? Was that the range? Mm, so we did. Raleigh? Yes. Okay. Uh, we probably yeah. shot together on the same squad at some point <laughs> because it was yeah. always like, I'd always kind of be with Bob Osbeck. Brandon would be there. Uh, and Osbeck sounds familiar. Yeah, he, he's still a local guy there in Jacksonville. He, he shoots yeah. his ESA, Dan. You've probably run into him. Okay, um, I'm a, I recognize people's faces. I forget names in four seconds. Yeah. Well, you definitely rep, uh, remember his lips. He's got big lips, and now he, he's got a beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I know we shot one up at Raleigh, and one of those is actually kind of surprising because, you know, I go up there, and it was sort of a preparation fail. He's like, yeah, we're going to go up there and we're just going to shoot another match. I think it was my second match. The first one was down in Clinton, South Carolina. Yep. And then this one was at Raleigh. And we get there and we're like, okay, yeah, well, uh, just be prepared to run around with a sling. And we look at each other. We're like, none of us have slings. Like, we didn't, we didn't know we needed this. So I think we, we went in his truck and found something and sort of made it into a sling. And um, <clears throat> that was my, my first experience with running around with a sling. You know, the Marine Corps, you'll – you'll have a slung weapon and you'll bring your, your weapon up, present it and, and do your fire online with everybody, but you're not running into a school bus, you know, and shooting out the windows of a, of, of a bus. And uh, I watched a lot of people, you know, who were inexperienced with a sling like me. Uh, and Frank, I know you saw this cause you even commented on it at championships. I, I go and I sling my rifle and instead of hanging along my body, it turns into like bat wings, just <laughs> sideways across my body. And when you got a, a rifle hanging perpendicular to your body and you try to pass through a narrow school bus door, <laughs> it rejects you pretty quick. Hail as old as time. Oh, yeah. Yep. No, that was, a, that was a real fun time up there. Uh, I think we shot two up in Raleigh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really a small world. Um, mm -hmm. You've talked about it a little bit in terms of what's next for the club, getting involved in the Mick but what's your next event? And, uh, do you need instructor support for it? So I've already, your name has already come up. <clears throat> Just saying. Um, so yeah, you mentioned that when we were out of the championship, uh, you know, if, if things come up that you would happily be like an assistant instructor out there to kind of help facilitate all the stuff. Um, I'm trying for June, you know, May is going to be a, a busy month. It's been, I, I didn't have one in March because I was doing my own, you know, competition or whatever. Uh, April's been busy. May's been busy. So June, I'm really shooting for it. And honestly, I'm really excited to push to get this thing done as soon as I can while everything is fresh. Um, whenever I, I came back from Nick every day, like I have a word document on my desktop on my computer right now that I can pull up. And I started, you know, writing things down, um, from what I had actually learned while I was out there at Nick and, you know, it's, it's little things about the different types of drills that we were doing. And while that's fresh in my head, <clears throat> I want to I wanna hold a match and, and try to teach these guys stuff. Um, what I've done in the past is, you know, it, for, for my club, every event starts with some sort of educational something. Um, I've done one thing where it's, you know, it's 
considerations for speed reloads versus tactical reloads. I never say this is the way, I say this is a way. I teach them what to consider and then it's just kind of on them to choose it in the moment, you know? Uh, and then, you know, we usually do a little bit of that stuff and move on to four to six stages of fire. But this time I, I want to start with, you know, a, a class on something and then move into just drills, like skill building drills. And then maybe after they do the drills, have three stages afterwards, like, cool, you've, you've done the transition drills, you've done stuff with the rifle, you've learned how to aim with your non-dominant eye, this, that, and the other. Right now, break up into squads, go to the stages, and practice it. And I'm hoping that they're like, yeah, I never, you know, because that's how I was. Um, one thing, <clears throat> not to go completely off that question, but the single biggest thing that I learned for firearm, just any firearm knowledge, I would say in the past 10 years was at Nate Make, uh, I watched Sergeant Alvarez go and just completely burn down a stage with action rifle. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I tried learning guitar back in the day until I started watching people play guitar. And I'm like, well, I have no chance of ever being that good, you know, and it discouraged me. I turned away. Well, watching Sergeant Alvarez shoot a rifle is kind of the same way. He just burned through it. And I'm like, oh, okay, great looking through a four power scope <clears throat> at a target that's five to 10 yards away. Uh, I, I asked Sergeant Ariano or Ariano. Um, I'm like, how do you like, I'm watching you do it and you're transitioning targets so fast. I'm, I'm struggling with searching through the RCO with its four power magnification. Like I'm, I'm seeing pasties up close and everything. Like, how are you finding different targets? And I've always heard, oh, well, the bend and aiming concept, you know, you aim with your both eyes open or whatever. But I, I looked up the definition of that and that's, it still says your eyeball selects the magnified image. And I always thought that you shoot both eyes open through an RCO so that when you're focused through your, your dominant eye, looking through the scope, the other eyeball is open for situational awareness. You know, something moves and you can pick up the movement and you're not tunnel vision. But then when I asked them, it, it, he was explaining it and it kind of clicked to me. I was like, wait a minute, you're a right-handed shooter. Your right eyeball is looking through the optic. Which eyeball is your brain focusing through though? He's like, oh, the left. And I was like, what are you talking about the left? Like, how does that work? <clears throat> so he told me that he's like, the purpose of the right eyeball for up close shooting with a fixed magnification scope like the RCO, he's like, your right eyeball just picks up the reticle and makes it appear in your left eye. And it takes a little bit of getting used to, but if you can train your brain to focus on the left eye, you feel like, like RoboCop or something like that. You have this unmagnified left eyeball with nothing in front of it. And there's just a reticle floating. And once I, I, I snapped up, you know, got the, the rifle on my shoulder half a dozen times, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is the trick. And I mean, that, that has been the most significant thing that I've learned for firearms proficiency. Like it had to have cut my time. Uh, I don't know. I had to have increased 300%, like how fast I can transition targets. And so little things like that, <clears throat> the aha moment that I had, like, holy, holy crap. I want to be the guy to be able to continue to pass that along. You know, like these younger Marines who haven't had that sort of level of instruction. I, there's some satisfaction when you teach someone something and they just look at you like, holy shit, man, that's, that's awesome. So that's the kind of stuff I want to start teaching. Uh, I want them to have fun and be able to move their feet and shoot and do stuff you can't do when you pay 15 or $20 to go to a range. But at the same time, like I really want to teach them those 
those little tools of the trade, the little secrets, you know? So that's, that's my goal is build a, a, a team that is like truly proficient. And then from that team, pull teams to compete against whoever you bring to the championship next year. <laughs> so I, I kind of think uh, that's a great idea, but here, here's something else. Uh, another way of thinking about doing drills and then doing stages is yeah. we call them dredges. They're drills within stages. So build a stage and then break that stage into three different parts or two different parts. And, uh, have the brains focus on each one part as a drill and then move to the next one and then move to the next one. And then once they have shot that drill multiple times, then put it all together and shoot it as a stage and then, huh. and, and then try it a different way. And what that'll do is it'll give them an opportunity to train each one of the drills and get proficient with each one of the, the standards that you're putting out there. And then you can have them shoot it in multiple different ways and see what they're most comfortable and what they're most proficient at. And then they can change up how they're going to do their stage plan. So it also builds upon their ability to do stage plans and see what's works fastest. That's actually how uh, JJ Lacaza had us do it during his class. He had a field course set up, (coughs) isolate parts of it, have us focus on those and then like he would make us run it right to left and then left to right. And then have stars in the center like we got a lot of use out of that one course. So yeah, that's a good, uh, good option for you, Dan. See, this is why I like talking to you guys and <laughs> just other like-minded people, because <clears throat> I've actually been thinking like, all right, well, I want to teach, you know, this thing, that thing, and the other thing, these three different, three different things. And maybe I'll have 20 people, but there's only one of me. So nobody else that's on the shooting team right now was, or in my shooting club right now was, at Mick So they never done these drills. So I can't rely on them. Okay, cool. Frank said that he would come and help me out. So that's two people, but I want to have different bays. So there's not so many people waiting in line and it's, it's just little stuff like this. I like picking up on different ways to teach people. Cause I've been thinking like, if I come up with, with five different stages or five different training drills, I can't effectively like teach five at a time and monitor and supervise. I can't find four other people that know these things. So I actually really like that idea. I think you just helped me solve that problem <laughs> if i set up <clears throat> you know different identical bays and each bay has the same you know five different drills in it i just need two instructors and people can learn 10 different things yeah that's that's super helpful and what what's thing that I, huh? what was that was the nickname you called it dredges dredges yeah dredges like I, stage. I, gotta, I gotta steal that <clears throat> yeah uh and another thing i'll do is you know shoot me an email on monday morning that way whenever i go into work what i can do is i can get all our uh all all our pois classes whatever you want to call them and i can just email those over to you so like the stuff that you learned at the mic mix you can just have in your inbox and use that as a sort uh as another source of material to teach from yeah that'd be great yeah right now um you know, the way it's been going, I've, I've done a few different events with my shooting club. There's 50 people who have joined and I was, I was actually super pumped because they joined it like enthusiastically. Like people were like, yes, I want to sign up. Well, so they all signed up and then I, I need to start, you know, talking with the, the four different companies to see a day that works because I'm only getting 15 to 20 people out there, but I'm starting to get some, some repeats that come out there. You know, it's like the same Marines are coming out which is good because, you know, I, 
the mentality right now, I, I talked to Marines about it and like, oh, that's your, your shooting team thing, right? I'm like, well, yeah, we go out there, we do this stuff. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm okay. I, I, I don't do that kind of stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. It's for you. It's not for like, oh, hey, let's, let's get this skilled group of people from the battalion to get together and do this high tech stuff. No. So like the shooting club that, that I made is not tied to the Marine Corps at all. We use personally owned weapons, personally owned ammo. And my thing is, you know, the Marine Corps gives you a bunch of good training and then people get to go to NICMEC and championship and learn all this other stuff. And but then they go home and they have a weapon that they don't have that kind of training with. And there's ways that, you know, so my thing is <clears throat> if I can make you better with a handgun and a rifle, especially like an AR style rifle, if you get pretty good with that, and you get experience, like, I don't know, shooting out of a stationary car or in these weird positions around obstacles, that's going to feel very natural the next time you have an M9 or an M18 in your hand. Like, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. And you hold your, your musket M16 or your M4. It's like, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. The same fundamentals apply. So it's like, I, I want to I make people better at, um, you know, I want to educate them on being a responsibly armed citizen and talk to them about laws of this state specifically, you know, the one they live in and considerations for concealed carry and all the stuff that, that they don't get from the Marine Corps because Marine Corps is not focused on North Carolina laws and, and privately owned weapons. So I'm trying to make them better at that. And by its nature, it will carry over to the skills they learn, you know, that they will rely on in the Marine Corps. But yeah, um, just, coming up with different drills and yeah, it's, it's exciting. I'm trying to grow it, but um, yeah, just kind of breaking down that barrier, I would say is a little bit of a, a challenge in one way. It's, it's kind of silly, but I refuse to say the word match or competition because those are intimidating words to some people. So I always call them shooting events. Like, Hey, the next shooting club event is going to be on this day. Cause if, if you're that person, you know, it's like, man, I, I'd really love to learn this kind of stuff. Um, but I'm not like competitive. I don't want to go out there and embarrass myself. That's why I don't call them competitions and matches and stuff. I love seeing people go out there and do well, but I also love seeing people go out there and do absolutely terrible on stage one and then a little bit better on stage two. And there's, there's a Marine specifically, I'll, I'll leave the name out, but they show up and they run out of ammo. Like they can't even hit all the targets with the amount of ammo they have on their body, but they're in good spirits. And not only the shooting club, but pretty much everyone in the shooting community that I've learned that, that I've gotten to know, they're all very supportive. No one like talks crap to each other. Like, why are you even here? You know, but uh, by like stage five, that same Marine that ran out of ammo because they couldn't hit targets with the ammo that they had. I, I shit you not, that same Marine ran a stage clean that was all headshots just popping one headshot after another, after another with the privately owned weapon that they carry on a regular basis. So in one day from stage one to stage, I don't know, four or five, the amount of improvement that I saw, that was, that was very satisfying and, and rewarding to me. It's like, this club is actually doing what, <laughs> what I want it to do. And it's not me teaching all this stuff because I can't be everywhere. It's the RO that's traveling with them, the other Marines that are on that Marine squad, teaching them and coaching them. Like, hey, you, you grab your magazine like this or you load your magazine backwards or, or whatever. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely exciting and kind of where I want to go with it is keep building on the skills. 
So what are some of your own personal goals as a shooter? Like you talk about what you want to focus on with your club, but what about you personally? So, so me personally, um, I, I didn't have this goal until about a month ago. Uh, before I retire, I got about just under four years left. Before I retire, I want to be double distinguished. So <clears throat> I told you about that Marine that was walking across the parade deck at OCS that had the fancy medals. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Well, then after I, uh, when I was going to the graduation ceremony after Micmic, you know, the, the award ceremony, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be cool. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a medal. All these other guys are probably going to get their, their first medal or whatever. And I show up and there was nothing but just chest rigs full of all these different medals. And I was like, man, this is, this is really cool. You know? And that was the, the first like pretty in-depth conversation I had with you, Frank. And I asked you and you're like, yeah, these I got from the championship. And I was like, okay, this guy has been at the championship. He's, he's done well there before. Um, <clears throat> and then during the award ceremony, there were some people that were recognized for going distinguished. And I was like, that's like in, in the shooting world, in, in the Marine Corps shooting world, that's the, I'm pretty sure that's like the highest medal that you can get. Like that's the highest honor you can get. It's like, I'm a distinguished pistol shooter and I'm a distinguished rifle shooter. But then there's not a, a lot of people that do both. Um, so I was, they make, I was actually yeah, looking ahead. at the distinguished database the other day. And I want to say since the inception of the Marine Corps shooting team in 1907, I want to say it's just under 500 shooters total that are double distinguished. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, that's the driving force. It's like, I don't know. How do you determine goals in life? Like for me, it's, there's a challenge out there that you determine is attainable. And it's like, well, I can do, there's a bunch of things that are attainable. And it's like, oh, but also not many people have done it. So you, you, you display the proficiency that may lead to this happening for you. And a lot of people haven't done it, which makes it a more like prestigious accomplishment. And because I absolutely am obsessed with, you know, the firearms persist, uh, proficiency and marksmanship, it's like, okay, so within this obsession of mine, this is the thing that I need to shoot for. Um, I didn't think dual distinguished would even be a thing until the matches this year, uh, getting a, a bronze at Micmic and then getting a bronze at the championship, that's 12 points. And then kind of talking to Massmark Capco up there about the whole point system. And I can get 10 points locally if I, if I work hard. So I was like, wait a minute, that's, that's 22. That's a, a silver medal away from being distinguished. Like this is, it could be, if I keep my shit together, you know, this could be within reach before I get out of the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. And so that was, uh, knowing that, you know, getting the medals that I got this year kind of was like the signal to me, like, Hey, if you want it, it could happen. Like you got to work, but it, it's an achievable goal. If you keep your stuff together and if you put the time into it. And so, uh, yeah, seeing other Marines up there getting their distinguished, their distinguished badge. Uh, I listened to your podcast when Parker was on here and just like the, the pride that he had and going distinguished with rifle. I was like, man, that's, you know, you have your, your professional work-related goals and you have your other goals. So one of my personal ones is, um, even though it's Marine Corps related is uh, in the next three years or so, I would like to be dual distinguished and get out of the Marine Corps and you know, be able to say that I was able to accomplish that. Um, <clears throat> another thing, and Frank, you're definitely helping with this because every time you send out a, a, a group message and signal about like, Hey, there's this match going every time I turn it down, 
like I, I tell myself, it's like, you're worthless. You're just backing out. <laughs> so it's like that constant pinging, like, hey, here's opportunities. Here's opportunities. That stuff helps me out. And it's a, a compounding effect. There's only so many times that I can say no before I'm like, all right, dude, you don't have excuses. You just, you just got to sacrifice that day. Drive an hour and a half to do the thing. You're going to love it. Even if you suck, you still went out and did it. So getting into more uh, major matches. ZSA, uh, John Z runs ZSA around here, and he's got a ton of matches. And I love going to those things. And he always challenges like different types of shooting uh, abilities. He'll throw random stuff at you. Like you have to shoot one-handed from a chair. It's just random stuff that you don't typically practice at a range. And then, you know, I get used to that. And then I go out to the Marine Corps Championship. And it's like, wow, there's a lot more out there. So now, you know, after talking to you, Frank, throughout a lot of the, the championship or whatever, and, <clears throat> you know, hearing about all the other USPSA matches and you including us in the group text, I'm like, okay, that's, that's my next thing. Get out of my comfort zone, you know, <laughs> drive the distance and, and do the match. And then uh, I would say that the, the last part of my personal goal is just to pass the knowledge along. I think it's important for people to learn this stuff and it not, not getting political, but it's, it's important for the second amendment. You know, people, you know, me teaching somebody how firearms work and making them realize that they're not going to come out of your dresser drawer and kill you in the middle of the night. I, I think that does more for the survival of the second amendment than sharing a post on Facebook or, you know, I don't, I don't have social media, but like, I don't know, liking something on Instagram or, or whatever it is, but, uh, <clears throat> it's lip service and it's not actually yes. getting out there and doing something about it. it. Yeah. It's like sending a birthday meme to somebody on Facebook on their birthday. It's like, did you really wish my happy birthday or did you just click a, a thing? You know, it's, it's very impersonal. Um, so my thing is <laughs> I will, uh, I will actually, bring my mom into the conversation when I was in Okinawa, you know, I mentioned something about rifles and there was the elections were going on and guns were kind of a hot topic. And we we're having a conversation and she actually, to me, she's like, well, why, why, why do you need an AR 15? And I was like, okay, we saw, let me like, <laughs> let me calm down and like try to articulate my point correctly. And I don't know, there's deer wearing bulletproof vests, bro. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So then whenever I uh, transitioned from Okinawa to the States, you know, I, I took a lot of leave with that and I stayed with her for a, a few weeks and just through conversations in January of 2021, she was asking me the question, well, why do you need an AR-15? And by the end of last year, she had her Illinois concealed carry permit, which that's not very easy to get. She has her Illinois concealed carry permit, like six pistols and AR-15, 22. She just went off the deep end. Like once I showed her the light, she's like, oh my God, guns aren't horrible. Like they're not just for murdering people. I was like, no, like I've shot thousands of rounds at paper and metal and stuff. And uh, honestly, the, the biggest thing that really got her hooked is I got my, my surviving, like, I survived Okinawa. I owe myself a gift, you know? So I bought myself a nice shadow systems pistol. I got my first red dot. I was out there shooting it. I was like, Hey mom, you want to come out and shoot this? And she's like, ah, I haven't shot a gun since, you know, you were just a baby. I was like, whatever, come out and do it. And I, 
I gave it to her with no magazine inserted. I took her through the whole dry fire thing, walked her through the steps to make sure that her first experience wasn't failure. And then uh, <clears throat> she lined everything up. And the first time she pulled a trigger in probably 25 years, she got a ting from hitting AR 500 steel. And I think that ting, you know, they say like the shot heard around the world. That was her, that was her thing that, that locked her in. Like, since then, for, for Christmas now, we get her shooting targets. We got her a dueling tree and she wants to come down and see me. And she's like, I want to order ammo. Like, I was like, hell yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> so just teaching people, letting them into the experience and they realize that they don't have to be these evil things. I think that does so much for the gun community. Now, I would rather have somebody, I, I think the most dangerous thing is someone who who hates guns and just stays away from them. And, oh, I refuse to touch them. Like, cool. At some point, you're probably going to encounter one. And when you do, you're not going to know what to do. You know what I'm saying? And maybe something unsafe is going to happen. You can still hate guns. Like, let me just show you how they work. So if you ever find one, like you're going to have people over and your significant other left one on the nightstand, you're not afraid of it. Like you can go and put it in a lockbox, or you can put it away and you're not going to grab it with your finger on the trigger and bad things aren't going to happen. So really I, I want to find a way to uh, just teach people and it, it's not developed or anything. I know I mentioned it to you guys, but like I, I created a, a Patreon account that's got pretty much nothing on there right now. But as time goes on, I would like to teach that kind of stuff through, through, I guess, Patreon or whatever, whether it's gun reviews and interviews like this and just kind of spread the word and open people's minds. Like, all right, well, I mean, you play baseball with a bat and a ball, you can do competitive shooting with a firearm. It doesn't have to be used to murder people, you know? So I don't know, doing my patriotic duty to spread love for the second amendment. <laughs> that's, that's one of my personal goals. And I don't know, maybe I'll make a t-shirt too and wear that. <laughs> Make sure uh, Grunt Style, uh, you know, promotes it. It's got, yeah, it's got to have an American flag on it somewhere with some rifles. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so what are some of the lessons you learned? Uh, we, we've talked about the McMix and championships, but what, what are some of those lessons that you learned that you'd like to implement within your club? Um, so I, I vaguely mentioned them. So I'll, I'll go by, by category. So for pistol, um, you know stuff, but just because you know stuff doesn't mean that you can teach it. So getting out there, uh, Sergeant Cardenas is one of the instructors with the, the shooting team. And he actually, I met him shooting local matches. So like I recognized him and, <clears throat> you know, he had a good personality then. He has a great personality now. The way that he communicates with people and the way he breaks down information, um, specific things. All right. So the what's it, is it called a, a bill drill or a build drill? The, uh, bill. five shots. Or... Yeah. Bill. Not yeah. like B I L L. I like the, the name. Yeah. I told you I'm horrible with terminology, but like that right there, it's like, cool. Let's do double taps. You can do double taps all day, but feeling your grip kind of start to fail when you have to do five shots as fast as you possibly can, you know, like building that kind of stuff up. <clears throat> um, my favorite that they had out there was, having that USPSA target with the alpha zone cut out. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've tried to coach people how to shoot, but then they, they see their, their shot groups and if they're disappointing, you know, they, they shake their head and they start to get frustrated and, and they don't want to shoot faster. And it's like, okay, 
so you're upset because your shot group isn't, you know, one inch in diameter, but really the entire alpha zone is worth the same amount of points. So what does it matter how big your group is as long as it fits in there? So <clears throat> he was saying, we want you to shoot faster. We don't want you to worry about your groups, which kind of sounds controversial. It's like, we want you to be fast and, and sloppy, but that's not the case. When you cut the, the alpha zone out and you start dumping rounds into the, the center, your grouping doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that you didn't hit paper. So no bullet holes is a good thing. So you don't get tunnel vision. I'm like, oh man, I, the group, you know, my lap, that person's group was tighter and mine isn't good, you know? So I'm definitely going to use that with family and friends and the shooting club for, okay, you're accurate, but how do we add speed to where you, you aren't afraid to sacrifice your super tight group? Because when you look at the alpha zone on a target, that's all still, I don't know, what is it, like eight inches? I don't know the exact measurement. A few inches across. Yeah, that's all. Those are pretty effective shots. Like if you're shooting at a human target, those are still effective shots, even though you don't have a super tight, sexy group, you know? Um, And then the first time that I think my mind was kind of blown is uh, Sergeant Cardenas had us snapped in with a pistol, aim. He's like, all right, build your grip, do whatever. He teaches all the stuff. And he came over with a marker and uh, if you do the, the two thumbs forward aiming method, um, he drew a line across the knuckles of your two thumbs. I'm like, okay, why did this man just write on me? You know? So as you go to continue to draw, it's like, all right, well, those two lines don't form a straight line. And then this time they do. And that time they don't. I learned that like, okay, well, that is the most visual effective way to teach somebody <clears throat> that they have an inconsistent grip coming out of a holster, that they're not doing the same thing, that their repeatability of their performance isn't there. So just taking a, a damn Sharpie and drawing a line on someone's hands is like, man, that's, that's kind of genius. It's so, so basic that it's, it's genius because people don't teach it. I, I use that trick a lot. Like I, there's a Sharpie in my range bag. There's a Sharpie in like my little pistol bag. There's just Sharpies everywhere because of how effective that is. Um, something yeah. else similar that I actually worked, um, I don't think they, they taught it at the Micmic, but uh, some of my shooters, they weren't canting their pistol enough to get the reload in. Like they were going too shallow with their angle. So what I'll actually do is I'll take a little paint pen and I'll go inside the magwell and I'll put a little dab of white. And that's forcing them to see the inside of their magwell get enough of the angle like i'll tell them to present their mag I'm like you see the angle of your magazine you gotta you gotta match the angle of your pistol to meet it and you know to enforce that a little <clears throat> bit of paint pen inside the magwell was actually forced them to do that so there's all kinds of little cues um that the shooting team uses i'm glad that you uh you you um that you think that some of them are useful enough to teach your own marines well so with the oh no go on go- uh, so with the paint pen thing that you just mentioned, uh, uh, <laughs> my first pistol stage at McMick, what really got me is, well, aside from the fact that I had a miss and I had to go back and make it up, or I chose to go back and make it up, that forced a reload because I tried top loading to get, you know, 16 right or whatever it was. So I knew as soon as I, I missed that target, I went left and I was going to have to pass it again. And I wanted to do the makeup shot, so I had to do a reload. But I can't do the pistol. It's an M9. Like my personal weapon, the, the mag falls out. Um, <clears throat> when I can't the pistol, the M9, and I hit the release, 
it came like halfway out and I did the, the jiggle, you know, the rookie jiggle. <laughs> and then uh, I definitely agree with Canton magazine to get the thing in there. Is there a, a different trick that you can use to like, how do you know when to cant it? Do you teach to release it while it's upright? So it just falls out and then cant it. Or how does that work? So the way I teach it is hit the button immediately while the pistol is still vertical. And then as the mag's falling out, you are looking into the mag well so that you're ready to like, you can actually see the magazine go in and then you transition your eyes back to the, um, back to the target. Yeah. So I have a drill I think you'll like. It's much similar to the build drill. Um, and it kind of forces you to work within your own comfort zone. Uh, it, it forces that acceptable accuracy with speed involved too. And it's called a 20 alpha and you do it from the five yard line, 10 yard line, 15, 20, 25. And it's, you do five shots and you repeat it four times. And the goal is to keep all your shots within the A zone and you have to go as fast as you can. And it's all from the holster. As fast as you are able to, you have to keep everything in the A zone shooting five shots and repeat it four times. If you keep them all within the A zone on that five-yard line, move to the 10-yard line. If you do it all at the 10-yard line, move to the 15. And you kind of it, it allows you to see how fast you can shoot while maintaining accuracy, maintaining grip, and uh, maintaining that speed or knowing when to dial back. Because whenever you go into competition – it's being able to assess, okay, I have to dial back from here or I can burn through this right here. Yeah. Another good part of that drill is that that kind of burns in uh, the cadence that you should be attacking targets at each yard line. Yeah. So the speed at which I shoot a five-yard target is different from the shots I take at the 20. Yeah. So uh, now what you were saying, the, the different yard lines, what the – pistol team match the championship ended up being was the 25 yard line 15 and then seven you have 10 rounds at each yard line but you only have 10 seconds but you have the start signal but you don't have a stop signal mm-hmm. so any round that you fire beyond 10 seconds subtracts that many points from your team score so you can have a coach and if that coach wants the time they can call it out but uh i've never prior to that moment <laughs> unfortunately i've never done rapid fire at 25 so you're talking 10 rounds, 10 seconds, but you also have a draw in there. So it's less than, it's faster than one shot per second at 25. And so I'd never done that before. So like kind of what you're saying, it, if you're going as fast as you can, like if I had done that drill, I think that would be pretty good. Cause like, all right, I know my speed. I know my five round speed and I can repeat that. <clears throat> I can do this many rounds effectively. Because not knowing that whole throttle control at the 25-yard line, uh, I actually think we all collectively weren't too happy with our 25-yard line performance. Uh, all being right-handed shooters, we all pulled, well, Low I think left. it was one of us. Uh, well, yeah, we were left. I can't remember if it was uh, Sturman or Dooley. One of them just did – no, Sturman was the coach. Yeah, we all pulled left at the 25 and I'm like, ah, oh, shit, you know, we ended up, we ended up winning, which is good. Uh, but as you get closer, you definitely get more confident with like, okay, I can, I can turn it up a little bit. And then at the seven, uh, yeah, the guy had a, uh, dually was to my right and it was 
you know, hands starting on your ear pros, still 10 seconds, draw five shots with the reload, five shots. And that was going to be the tiebreaker. So if there was a tie, whoever had the, that shooter, which we nominated him, whoever had the fastest time was it. So he had to like burn that stage down from seven yards. <clears throat> but yeah, definitely learning when the, when there's the same requirement that exists at the seven, 15 and 25, like, Oh yeah, you got 10 rounds but 10 seconds. And it's the same for all the yard lines. It's like, Oh shit. I've never, never done this. I don't know how to pace myself at the 25 because they usually don't take follow on shots at the 25. So that's, that's pretty cool. I think that would uh, lead to some diverse skill there and not just being solid at the seven, you know, you can rapid fire at seven all day, but <laughs> not many people rapid fire at 25. Nope. Nope. So we've been talking about shooting a bit. Um, I want to take a step away from shooting. Uh, we talked during championships. So you you have some some interesting competitions coming up. You told me about the three-day kayak race that you're preparing for. And um, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, a while back, you did a half marathon. <clears throat> so can you just talk to uh, us a little bit about what draws you to those particular types of events and how you're preparing for that kayak race specifically? Well, I owe a lot of that to my... Uh, so I have two older brothers. Uh, middle brother is, is Steve. Oldest brother is Mike. And Steve is in the Air National Guard. He's like active reserve. And uh, yeah, so I'm in the Marine Corps. He's in the Air National Guard. So he actually invited me or all my siblings. So like, hey, your brother's turning, you know, your oldest brother's turning 40. And me and him and my wife, we're all going to go out and run this half marathon in Vegas. Are you in? So from there, I'm like, well, I, you didn't really leave me a choice. You know, like all my siblings are doing it. So I can't back down to that. You're in the Air Force. I'm in the Marine Corps. So I can't back down on that level. So I kind of get suckered into these things by him. So I ran the half marathon in Vegas because they all kind of collectively invited me. I ended up having a great time there. Um, my knee was killing me in like the, the last half mile. But uh, the good news is I learned craps while I was in Vegas and I did pretty well. So <laughs> that's a bonus. I also finished half marathon there. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is the kayak race. So again, um, I don't know, I guess rising to the challenge is sort of the, the motivation for that. That is not a thing. So I, I ran a half marathon in 2009 and I was like, I'm never doing this again. Like, it's great that I did it. Got the t-shirt, never doing it again until my siblings challenged me to it. I was like, well, I don't want to, but I also don't want to back down. So yeah, I'll do it. Kayaking. I'm not even a kayak. I didn't own a kayak and neither did my brother, but he decided, you know, Hey, there's this thing called the MR 340. It's a 340 mile kayak race across the state of Missouri using the, the Missouri river. And it's a big fundraiser event to help, you know, maintain and clean up the Missouri river. And so, you know, we were up in Ohio for a family event <clears throat> And he's like, yeah, I'm doing this thing. And his wife is like, you know, he's, he's doing it alone. I'm nervous because he doesn't have anybody out there with him. And it's three days. So there I am. And he sort of, he brought it up. And I was like, okay, well, I will, I will rise to the challenge and I'll do it. And I, I bought a kayak. Hell, I was in, I did 7,000 meters today. I've been working on my form and trying to improve that stuff. But uh, <clears throat> I would say what draws it to me is a couple of things. So I don't like, I mean, in certain ways, I don't like backing down to a challenge. I don't know if that's an ego thing or if it's like, I feel like I need to uphold the legacy of the Marine Corps when someone in the Air Force challenged me to a physical event. Um, and there's this sibling rivalry. So there's those couple motivations. Um, <clears throat> the 
The other thing that's a little bit, I don't know, a little bit deeper, I guess, is I like doing things that, that most people don't do and that some people can't do. So almost everybody, if they really wanted to, they can go run a half marathon. Um, but most people don't do it because it's a big challenge. So yeah, I got, I got kind of pressured into it. I got challenged into it. I didn't want to back down. So I went out there and you know, I decided to, to run the half marathon. But at the same time, there's a little bit of pride. It's like, you know, most Americans don't come out here and run 13 something miles. And I love the fact that, that I can do that. Um, it's kind of like taking pride in, in my own body. It sounds super cheesy, but my high school PE teacher, uh, Mr. Root, it's weird that I remember that, but uh, he actually said a quote that I still remember. Uh, it's not really a quote. It's more of an idea. He says that, you know, your, your body is your machine. It's your temple. No matter what you encounter in life, you're going to do it from within that body. And you can change that body into whatever you want. You can decide to, you know, eat whatever you want and get overweight. You can choose to not condition it and not be capable, or you can choose to do the, the difficult thing and get out there and condition it to be the most capable thing ever. Um, so I remember that. And <clears throat> I also know that, you know, people who are, who are very close to me, who, you know, aren't with us anymore, they had some limitations while you know, while they were alive, they had some limitations and they wanted to be better. They wanted to be more in shape, but due to some medical limitations, like they would try and there'd be this medical thing that comes up and it's like, man, they would give anything to have the ability to go run three miles, but they, they physically cannot due to, you know, medical reasons or whatever. You talk about people who have lost their legs or they're sick or they have some other kind of illness and they can't do it. Um, <clears throat> it's, it sounds like a, a Miss America answer, but honestly, what I've thought about on Thanksgiving, Memorial day, stuff like that, where I, I've done, I've made up some Memorial day or uh, Thanksgiving day challenges where it's like, you know what, I'm going to go do very hard physical things. I'm going to go run five miles, do a hundred tire flips, a hundred may strikes on something. Why? Because there's, I don't know, millions of people who wish they could do that. And I can do it. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it. And just to kind of like be thankful for my health and like, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who would kill to have a fully capable body and not have the limitations that they have. Um, so when things like that come up, that also happen to be fun. It's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do that. And then, uh, <clears throat> you know, life is made of of moments. Life is just a, a compilation of different moments and that's it. So make those moments really badass. You know, you can, you can be super cool at video games, you know, and just sit around and play video games. I did a lot of that in Okinawa to sort of pass time, but then you're, you're missing on a lot of physical experiences. And so when, when the opportunity arises to really just get out there, uh, whether you're, you're running or you're paddling a kayak across the entire state of Missouri, which I haven't done yet, but going to in July. Uh, one, you're outside, you're in nature, and there's like a primitive calling to be outside, overcoming challenges out in nature. And it's kind of getting out there and, and doing that stuff. I think that it has some like deep level of satisfaction, you know? And the whole doing stuff because people can't isn't like, oh, look how, how mighty I am. 
but it's just honestly an appreciation for, you know, my health. You know, someday I'm, I'm going to look back and I'm going to be very appreciative that I had memories that I went and I did a half marathon with all my siblings. And I hopefully kayaked across the state of Missouri in three days, with my brother on a three day camping trip. And that I ran a half marathon in Iraq and I, all these other little things they are all like cool memories, you know? So <clears throat> whatever memories I can have, you know, not everybody lives forever. I just want to have a, a, a bunch of really cool moments. And that, that also kind of like leads into the whole shooting thing. I think shooting's badass. That's why I do it all the time. Cause like, I want to, I want to have cool, exciting, fun moments that also sort of tie into, you know, being capable, being physically capable, you know, fit and, and whatever. So is there a chance you're going to possibly go out and do a tactical games match with Frank sometime? <clears throat> you know, so Frank and I talked about this at in the, uh, the base theater after Micmic. And I explained, I was like, man, someday here's what I want to do. And I went on this long thing. I remember like, yeah. this conversation. Yeah. It felt so <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm sitting here pouring my heart out about like my dreams for the future. And the whole time he had to be thinking, dude, that already exists. You know, it's like the guy who wants to invent something that's already been invented. He's like, yeah, that's, uh, have you ever done the tactical games? And he explained it to me. I was like, son of a bitch, man. That's, that's exactly what I wanted to like create. That was my thing. When I get out of the Marine Corps, I want to create something that, you know, you got CrossFit guys that are or CrossFit people, you know, men and women who are out there and they were just the arguably some of the most physically capable people on earth. Uh, the endurance and different stuff they do, the strength, endurance, all that stuff. Then you have competitive shooters who are extremely skilled with firearms, but, you know, physical fitness is not always a thing there. You could be in, in some cases, in some disciplines, you could be extremely out of shape and be extremely successful with firearms. And so <clears throat> before Frank crushed my hopes and dreams, I was thinking, you know, <laughs> what if you took the, the best of both worlds? What if you, you took people who are physically fit and people who were, you know, very skilled marksmen and you combine the two of them together, you find useful ways, not like you know, you got to do snatches and cleans and bench press and stuff, but find <clears throat> meaningful ways to increase their heart rate, whether it's climbing over obstacles or doing um, repetitions of CPR, things that you have to think about. So engage your mind, engage your body, elevate your heart rate, but also while it's, while your heart rate's jacked, be proficient with a firearm in a bunch of different ways. I was like, man, people are going to love this. And then I start seeing it on TV and he tells me about tactical games. I was like, ah, missed it. <laughs> well, I, I think you should still go out and try it. Um, it's a great time. Matt and I actually, uh, we ran into e uh, each other at the team games out in West Virginia. Um, and I'd have to say, man, like I'm seeing a lot of these competitions pop up, right? You see tactical games, the Patriot games, the Griffin group rumble. And I think it's all like a synthesis of really like, a combination of civilian and military shooters taking their own personal fitness and their ability to like be good marksmen really seriously. And it goes back to what you were talking about before, like being a good advocate of the second amendment means going out there and actually doing things. And people are doing that. So I really <clears throat> like that conversation we had at the base theater, man. Like, I think that passion you have and that drive to like teach people and like give people like a good product I think you should absolutely should put something like that together just because it exists out there. It doesn't mean there's not more like an avenue for more of it. Like people yeah. want stuff. 
um, you put your own personal spin on it, like make it a little yeah. more like real life scenario based. Because if I'll be honest, tactical games has become a little bit more CrossFit and the shooting just isn't as dynamic or fulfilling as I would want it to be. It's still challenging. And I yeah. love the community, but <clears throat> I say full set, man, like you got some good ideas. I'd say you should absolutely go forward. with. Well, so like part, part of the inspiration for that, you know, you, <clears throat> unfortunately, you know, people hear, people don't hear every single time a, a police officer does a great thing. They hear about when they mess up and that's all they hear. And usually it's a high stress situation and they don't have anybody with them and they got to think and react. And there's so many things happening. And <clears throat> I, I won't try to guess what kind of training they have or what lack of training they have. But one of the huge things, it's like, you know, you start brainstorming the whole thing up, like, oh, I'd like to combine fitness with, with marksmanship, you know, that would, <clears throat> if somebody wants to be good at it, like, let's say there's an, an overweight person who's out of shape and they're like, well, I'm really good with a rifle. I'm be good at this. Maybe in an effort, some desire exists. Like I want to be good at whatever I decide to call it. Right. Uh, what if they start working out and exercising to be better at it? Well, now I'm, I'm improving someone's life physically through inspiration. Like, oh, if you want to be good at this, you have to be in shape. So maybe, so maybe that is what motivates someone to get their act together and get in shape. And then it just starts like, I don't know, expanding exponentially from there. It's like, all right, well, I start getting these people together and now, you know, through raising their stress levels in a safe controlled environment and all that kind of stuff, you got these people out there who have concealed carry permits, but how do they train under stress? Because if someone's trying to kill you, there's going to be this stress present that's not present when you train. And how are you going to react to that? So these, this sport, right? Whatever it ends up being called, tactical games, whatever, you're learning how to use your rifle or your pistol under stress. And the stress comes in the form of physical fatigue and elevated heart rate. So it's like you're making more responsible armed citizens who are, you know, potentially going to be more effective with their weapon and not have stray bullets missing and hitting a family who's on the sidewalk behind the person that you're trying to take out. And then it starts building more. It's like, you know what, <clears throat> if I can make team competitions, we can put together teams and maybe if I can influence people, maybe the police department sends a team and the fire department sends a team because the physical challenges that exist aren't just like we're new deadlifts, but maybe you have to drag a big dummy or you have to fireman carry somebody. And then the, the fire station wants to win and the police don't want to lose. So they show up. Well, if I can get them to participate, then maybe I could say like, you know what, this, this thing that I sort of created is giving the police officers the stress-based training that they need. And maybe uh, you could probably hear my dog sounding the Sounds alarm. Sounds like right he's now. agreeing with you. Exactly. Yeah. Full, full support. <clears throat> um, yeah, you, you start expanding it from there and it's like, man, these firearms that people think are these, that some people think are these horrible things. If you use it the right way in this, this sport and you draw these different, these different people in there, well, it's going to increase their fitness. And so why wouldn't you want a more physically capable fire department and police department? And if you're talking about training with firearms under stress, a lot of the, the problems that get blasted all over the internet are problems that come from introducing stress to shooting and people argue that someone made the wrong call. But if, if they practice regularly with, you know, Hey, under a time limit, you have to think and recall information that you learned previously to do 
30 chest compressions or I don't know, whatever it is now, 30 chest compressions and two rescue breaths before you move. Like you have to recall information. You have to think with an elevated heart rate, accomplish physical tasks while at the same time being effective with your firearm. That's also making a more effective police force. That's not, I don't know, that may not make mistakes, you know, if, or make fewer mistakes. <clears throat> it's just better training overall for, for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hey man, keep in touch with me. Let's uh, shoot some USPSA matches, but once my ankle comes back all the way, let's go and yeah. some actual games and some of those other competitions out there. Um, but yeah. really like appreciate you coming along, Dan. Um, I thought the the answers you gave were really well thought out, obviously very passionate about the subject. We really appreciate you uh, having you on the podcast at this point. We'll turn it over to you. Is there anything last uh, you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, <clears throat> huge question, but I don't know. I, I guess I'll give a, a, a brief answer for now. Um, if people are listening, I, I assume that they're interested in the world of competitive shooting. And the, the biggest thing that I can tell people is reps make winners. Repetitions make winners. Um, Frank, you talked to me about dry fire. Um, that, that's one of the things that I kind of learned about. The, the, term, the, the term itself, dry fire, growing up in the Marine Corps, I'm like, oh, so you aim at a barrel and you pull the trigger a bunch of times? Like, that's, that's dumb. But dry fire is, <clears throat> is not that. Dry fire is, you know, drawing the weapon, aiming at something, squeezing it, you know, under time, like under a shot timer, doing reloads and doing all the different procedural things that you don't get a whole lot of reps at uh, on standard ranges. And so all those reps, you know, that is what I feel has led to success for me anyways. Um, <clears throat> going to an indoor range, you know, let's say that you're on a budget and you don't really have a lot of ammo. You, you, get, you got a box of 50. You can load uh, two rounds and two different magazines. And <clears throat> if you have a shot timer, even if you don't, you can draw that pistol, fire two rounds. You can do a tactical reload and retain that magazine because you don't want to drop it and have it bounce across the firing line at an indoor range. So you retain the magazine. The other one comes out, you know, and, and you get it back in, you sight back in, you squeeze two more rounds off. You're like, cool, that was cool. And you reholster the gun. Well, for the cost of four rounds, you got a draw, a presentation, a controlled pair, a reload, a re-index of the magazine, another presentation, another controlled pair, and a, and a reholster with a pistol. That's, I don't know how many different reps that you just got for the cost of four rounds. So find, <clears throat> find ways to get repetitions in, whether it's dry fire or coming up with meaningful drills that you do in your house, at a range, whatever. All those little things become muscle memory and it shaves half a second off your time or a full second and a few half seconds add up to a few seconds, you know? So <clears throat> that's my big thing that I tell people, um, you, you think you learned a cool thing. Now do it 200 more times, you know, reps make winners. That was the, the biggest thing that I have <clears throat> aside from what I had mentioned previously about, uh, Jerry Mitchellick that I think about all the time, don't put an expectation on a performance. Um, stress comes in the form of different things, whether it's a shot timer, like, cool, I have to do it before the second beep goes off. But honestly, if you combine a shot timer with you filming yourself with your phone, whether you want to put it on Instagram or you want to analyze it afterwards, whatever, if you're going to record yourself doing something, you don't want to look dumb. So naturally, like, cool, I'm, I'm filming this one. It's got to look awesome right? That's kind of, it kind of mimics 
doing it in front of an audience. And so that little bit of stress, uh, that, that's, that's really what matters. You know, you film yourself, you have a shot timer and you start going through stuff. <clears throat> but what I've learned is as soon as you go to film yourself, you're like, all right, this one has to be perfect because I'm going to film it. You know, you've just put an expectation on what you have to do before you were just kind of doing it for fun. You're killing time on a weekend. You're getting, you know, an hour of dry fire in, but now that you're filming it, it has to be good. And then in my personal experience, that's usually when I start messing stuff up. So putting that expectation on there, showing up and like, all right, I have to get a bronze medal or I have to walk with a silver medal. Probably not going to do it because that's all you're focused on. And you're going to start forgetting what's actually important and your, your uh, result focused instead of task focused. Those, those are the, the two biggest things I like to tell people. And if I guess if I had to leave people with anything, it'd be, it'd be that. But definitely had, had fun talking to you guys. And I'm, I'm going to remember the, the guidance that you guys gave me, the drills, the advice, all that kind of stuff. I love having conversations with like-minded people um, and obviously very experienced people in this um, and learning from you guys. And hope I can use that to in, improve the shooting club and bring more to the Marines that are a part of it. Yeah, again, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, Matt, did you have anything else to add? No, I just appreciate you coming on. Thanks for everything that you provided us. Yeah, I really appreciate the invite, guys. This is a lot of fun. And uh, thanks again to all our listeners. And uh, if you've made it this far, just um, hit us up and tell us what you think. Thanks again for listening.